Good morning. Great to see you. I want to pray just before we start. Lord, what we want to talk about today, what we want to share from your word is something that we just need your Holy Spirit to continue to reveal in our lives how this applies to each one of us. Lord, we know what we want to talk about today is, is vital. Um, maybe for some it will be the first time that they've ever thought about this. For most, Lord, it will be, again, just a chance for us to ponder and to consider what this means for our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray your blessing and uh, your spirit opening our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I jump in, I want to remind you the Bible app is here. We always encourage you, whatever way that you read the Bible, um, we encourage you to, uh, to bring that with you to service. Um, if it's the Bible, like in a paper, pages, um, if that's the way you read it at home, bring it here, right? And then if, if you are a, I got a Bible app, I read my Bible on the phone, well then bring your phone, open it up. We want you to be reading, um, you know, in the way, using the tools you use through the week, also in the service. And so if you uh, weren't aware, we do have an app um, that you can, uh, you can access Maybe right now would be not a good time to explain it to you, but, you know, you can be ready for next time. But just want to remind you of that. Uh, I'm just going to say a few really simple things. You came this morning, obviously, to worship and to hear from the Word of God, right? Um, The Word of God, right? When I say that, if I said that in a university setting, You'd be like, what? God spoke. But you're here today, I, I really believe, because you, you believe that this is God's word. Amen? Okay, this is really simple. And we believe that what God shared in his word from a historical setting is factual and true. Correct? Uh, Jonah was not an allegory. As hard as it is sometimes to comprehend There was a fish, there was a man, there was Nineveh, right? Noah was a man who lived, and there was a flood, and there was a boat. You still with me? Okay. That's who we are, right? We believe that the word is true in what it shares with us. It's not a document that's just uh, allegories and metaphors, and it's... It's the story of God and how he related to man, and sometimes in very sensational ways, right? So what I want to share with you to preface what I want to talk about is from the word of God. It's a story that's shared, okay? And if you are, you're with us right here, you're believing that what was shared, true, happened, was real, then I want you to think about this story. It's in 2 Kings, um, in that period of time in Israel, uh, really what we hear from about uh, from Israel at that time was through prophets, right? The, the, the country existed, it functioned, it had its own government, its kings, and yet God was primarily interacting with them through men he raised up to be prophets. And um, you, you would recognize some of those prophets' names, Samuel. You, know, you probably would recognize um, Isaiah, um, and especially maybe a man named Elijah, right? Elijah gets all the the publicity, but there was a guy that followed him whose name was Elisha. Elisha was a prophet 
that we read about in the Old Testament. Again, if you're with me, Elisha existed. He was a real dude. And what happened in his life really happened. Are we still there? Okay. Um, so Elisha uh, lived in a time when, you know, this country, Israel, was always, trying to, was always having to protect itself. Uh, and that, especially in that culture, I don't know that it's a little different now, but I mean, you are always trying to take over the next country next to you, to make them subservient to you. It was financially advantageous. It was, in a lot of ways, advantageous, right? And so they were having to defend themselves from different uh, countries around them. And in particular, there was this, uh, this, uh, this group of people, Aram, and they just always were trying to take captive the people of Israel. And they would draw up these strategies and plans, and they would have these ways to attack. And every time, what would happen is God would reveal to Elisha, hey, Aram's going to come up against my people, and they're going to try to do it here with this kind of force. And you just need to tell the king to be ready. And you know what started happening? They would, they, they would attack, and they would not take them by surprise. Because Elisha had the word of, words from God, the vision from God, and he would share, and they were, he was protecting his people, right? Well, Aram knew this. It became a legend. It became this story that's told. It couldn't hold a secret now. And he figures, you know what? The only way I'm going to take Israel is i got to kill that prophet. And so he finds out where Elisha is living, and he gathers an army together, and he, through, through the late afternoon and the evening, he moves to surround that little, that little town where Elisha is living. And in the morning, probably about at least hundreds, probably thousands of men are surrounding this city. The morning happens, and Elisha's servant goes out to start to prepare for the day. He walks out of the door, and he looks, and he sees this. And he panics, right? Because he's well aware of who those people are and why they're there. And he runs in and he gets Elisha, you know, I don't know if he was sleeping or he, he's just panicked. He says, Elisha, th this is what's, look outside. We're surrounded. To which Elisha responds in this way. Listen to these words. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. <laughs> to which the servant just looked at him like he lost his mind. It's kind of like, dude, your prophecies are great. Your math is terrible. There's two of us, hundreds, thousands of them. What are you talking about? I mean, the only thing we're prepared for is breakfast. They're prepared for war. This isn't going to work. And Elisha understands, hears him saying this, losing his mind in a panic. And he begins to pray. And he prays that God would open his servant's eyes to what was really taking place out there. And we re remember, Bible is true. You still with me? Stories in the Bible are not allegories. They're true. If they're not, it's a deceiving book. We shouldn't trust it. There's a lot of things that would come into play. Jesus believed in Noah. Jesus believed in all these crazy things that happened. So this is true. Are you with me? 
The word of God says that Elisha's servant's eyes were opened. And what he saw was he saw an army of Aram surrounding them. But beyond that army was the army of God. It says that they were with horses and chariots of fire that were surrounding the army of Aram. And it was obvious that in a moment of time, a moment that that army behind Aram's army could destroy them just like that. Elisha actually prays some more and um, he just prays because he saw what was real. He saw what was real. He just prays, Lord, make them blind so the people who are visible, begin to not see, and they're blinded, and they're led off, and they're taken captive by the army of Israel, king of Israel. And I want you to think about that story. Because what we're trying to accomplish in this series is to understand what Paul, when he's writing Ephesians, and in other places, and Jesus himself, and Peter, and John, and James. This consistent theme in the New Testament scriptures. The Old Testament's everywhere. (laughs) New Testament, they keep talking about this unseen reality. This world that exists that we cannot see, yet it is the most powerful thing that exists in this world. And Paul writes this book, right? Ephesians, and it's all about who Jesus is, what he's done, what that means for us, who we can become. Man, Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 are just, wow. You could just live there the rest of your life and like just, just keep thinking about and stretching your mind about what is going on with God and us through Jesus Christ. And yet Paul finishes in this way. Finally, finally, here's what you need to know. I've shared all this you can live life like, but you need to know something. Finally, and he begins to unpack this dimension to life that we need to know. I would remind you of this, because everybody here, like, I'm in with Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Everything he's offering, right? We, Jesus Christ. I would remind you that Jesus believed, acted, and lived in conflict with this world. You can't read about Jesus' life and understand that early on he goes away into a wilderness for 40 days and is tempted by this individual, this being called the devil, Satan, right? Do you believe Jesus' story or don't you? If you do, you gotta know that there's a Satan that existed. Jesus interacted with him. Jesus in his ministry is always doing what? He's healing people and he's casting out demons, right? Jesus, uh, when he's telling us, hey, when you pray on a consistent basis, pray this way, how does he finish that prayer? Deliver us from the evil one. Right? Well, last week I tried to remind you, you live according to unseen realities all the time. You live, love being the number one thing in the world that, you, that you, you live. You can't measure or test. You know, we're people of the enlightenment now. And we, we don't believe in anything unless we can scientifically measure it. And yet, 
The scriptures share what the reality really is, is that there is an unseen world and actually an unseen conflict that exists in this world, and it involves every individual. Jesus believed this, he knew this, he shared this. And so we want to take some time considering what in the world is this? How do we win in this? He says, finally, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Which if you weren't here last Sunday, you understand that we unpackage that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You have the most formidable enemy. It is the devil. And he fights in a way that is not flesh and blood. The way that you, he uses flesh and blood, but he's fighting at a whole nother level. The biggest challenge that you and I face is not in our relationships. It's not in our finances. It's not in our reputation. It's even not in our health. It's this formidable foe. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. This is what the devil uses to fight this war. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground and having done all, stand. When. Use the word when. Use instead of stand, when. God actually um, is presenting to us not only that we're in this conflict against a formidable enemy foe who actually, with his cunning, craftiness, his scheming, we we are no match for this, this enemy. And yet God is like he always has done. He says, listen, I've done something about that also. And so what he does is he presents the way for us to win in this most important, vital, core conflict in this life. You still with me? Okay, because I'm asking you to do things that when you walk in this world, people are like, yeah, I don't know about that. Sounds kind of crazy to me. Sounds, you know, out there. Guess what? We're crazy out there kind of people. All right, that's okay, because that's the reality of our world. And so he begins to tell them, this is the way that you win. We're centering around these three phrases. You can't win if you don't know. Do you know that your struggle is not against flesh and blood? Are you even aware of this conflict? If you have not considered how the enemy of your soul is trying to rob, kill, and destroy your life, then you're not going to win. You can't win if you don't know. You have been equipped to win, and you've been empowered for victory. That's what this section is going to share to us. This is what we need to know. And so this is what he said. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Remember, Paul was familiar with Roman soldiers. Um, He was in prison for a, a large amount of time in his ministry because he preached the gospel. And so he was chained to a Roman soldier. Um, He was actually at times protected by Roman soldiers because he was a Roman citizen. He knew what it was like to be around Roman soldiers. And it's obvious that as God is impressing upon him to share with us that we're in this spiritual conflict, that we have this spiritual enemy, this greatest foe, 
that he uses what would have been common to them in their eyes, in their minds, in their life of a Roman soldier to explain how we win in this conflict. Um, and he shares, he starts with this way. Think about the Roman soldier, and I want to first of all draw your attention to the belt that that Roman soldier would wear when he was geared up for battle. Now, a belt's kind of a seemingly insignificant thing, right? Um, most of the time, uh, you wear a belt for show, right? Some of you are like, no way, dude. If I take my belt off right now, yeah. It's going to be showing the wrong things, right? But most of the time, we wear it for show, right? Like, and I know that like, it's kind of a fashion thing a lot of times. Like, wear a brown belt with your brown shoes. Like, if I wore a black belt with my brown shoes, you'd be like, Ugh. right? Kind of matchy-matchy, you know, kind of an accessory, right? Most of the time. Some of you are like, no, <laughs> more than an accessory. For them, it was more than an accessory. And why would you start with the belt? Like, I'm looking at that breastplate, man, Big old thing, metal, steel, whatever it was, it, iron. Man, it was impressive. I'm looking at the sword, um, that cool hat. I'm like not thinking about the belt. And yet that's exactly where we start with this presentation of what we need to know, how we need to be equipped. He starts with the belt. The belt, in simple terms, holds everything together. The belt in the Roman soldier's armor held everything together. If the belt's not there, everything's falling apart. The, 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 the tunic that they wore, they needed to tuck it into their belt so that they could move efficiently. They could fight efficiently. Without the belt, it's loosey-goosey. You just can't move, you can't fight. The belt actually had a strap that went uh, to their back and connected on their back, and that's how they held their sword in place. Even there was things with their shield. Basically, to make it short for you, the belt holds everything together. Without the belt, it starts to unravel very quickly. Amen? And he starts with what holds everything together. Belt of truth. I think there's something unique about this word. There is a sense where it is absolutely what you and I think, objective truth. Truth, who God is. And what holds everything together is who God is. The truth of God and what he's about, who he is. Absolutely. If I'm going to win, it starts with his truth holding me together. But you know what's interesting about this word as I begin to study it and unpack it? There's a subjective side to it. It's not just who God is. It's also subjective to each and every individual. It is, who am I, really? Who am I, really? It's this idea of an attitude of truthfulness or non-hypocrisy. It's an understanding of truth in light of not only who God is, but who am I? You know, this is a very painful thing for us to do. It, it's this idea of being honest with, our, with God, ourselves, and others. 
it's a not allowing ourselves to be deceived. It's a, we don't rationalize our behaviors, our sins, our character away. We can't use ignorance or relatively or blame. It is a, I see myself completely for who I am. This is painful, is it not? It is so painful. I guess you guys are really good. I, I look in the mirror sometimes, I'm like, Lord. Right? And truth carries with it, yes, who God is. But it's also in light of, who am I, really? You see, winning, having truth, includes you having a sense of truthfulness about yourself. Or can I say it in a modern way? You have a good self-awareness. And we don't tend to do that very well. We think the best of ourselves normally. We give ourselves a mile when we give everybody else an inch, right? We assume our best intentions always, and we excuse our behaviors very easily, right? I, I have done that. I do that. And it's having a take it off, see it for what it is, don't look at yourself at the best way you can. Don't excuse yourself. It's, that's the kind of word here. Who God is, who I am, really. Now that means something as we, as we keep going. But you can have someone who can tell you who God is from A to Z, who has the greatest theology and have an astounding lack of self-awareness. And it's not going to work. It's like this. This is what David, this is why David was a man after God's own heart. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way. I mean, David, why he was a man after God's own heart, he got this. God, just show me who I am. Help me to know who I am. Help me to know what you need to do in me. Help me not to excuse it. Remember he tried that for a while with Bathsheba? You know what his testimony of that lifestyle was? He said, I lived every day like my bones were just on fire. I was so miserable being a phony. Like I'm the king and yet I've done this horrible thing. He said, it's the most miserable lifestyle to ever live. Because I wasn't being honest with God and I wasn't being honest with myself. And that's why he says, God, just help me to be honest. And that's where this all can start. His truth becoming that belt that holds everything together. Now, it's interesting that he says belt of truth. Truth. Because what, assumed, what is assumed here with this word is that there is an alternative to truth. And it's false. Falsehood. And in this conflict we're in, the number one tactic of our enemy is dealing in falsehoods and lies. And the belt of truth, what holds everything together, is what we need to be able to have a direct defensive against the lies of our enemy. 
This is how he, listen to what Jesus said about our enemy. He said this, you belong, you belong to your father, the devil. You carry out his desires. He was talking to religious people, actually, if you want to know, Pharisees. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he does what? It's just his language. I had a good friend who, he's in a penitentiary right now. Like, his language was nothing but lies. He couldn't tell the truth for 10 minutes. I mean, like, it was just all, his native tongue was lying. What's what the enemy is? He speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the way that, why truth is important is because we have a foe who deals in the economy of lies. It's what he uses. It's how he fights. It's one of his primary weapons is to sow falsehood into the world and into our hearts. A falsehood, a lie about the goodness and the character and the greatness of our creator God. That's how he, that's how he fights primarily. He says you need the belt of truth. You need to know who God is. You need to know who you are. And you need to know this because he is going to try to trick, deceive, and lie to you. This is why, again, Paul says this in Corinthians. We live in the world, but we don't wage war as the world does. Remember? We don't live in a world of flesh and blood, primarily. So what we're doing is, it's, it's a bigger thing than flesh and blood. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world, not flesh and blood. Right? On the contrary, the weapons that we have, they have divine power to defeat the enemy. And it's done through this demolishing arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How does the enemy fight? Through lies. How do we win? Through believing, comprehending, and knowing the truth to be able to combat the falsehoods. We demolish the arguments, the lies that he brings up, every pretension against the knowledge of God, and in fact, we take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. Are you still with me? Okay. It's okay if you think I'm crazy. I'm good with that. I'm one of those guys. I believe there's a devil, and I believe he's trying to wreck your and I believe he's trying to wreck my life. And I need to be aware of that. In fact, the greatest challenge I face is the devil. The greatest challenge you face is the devil. Are you aware of it? Do you know it? Do you, do you see how he tries to, to, to destroy your life, to wreck your life? Are you engaged in this conflict? He says, fight with truth. The devil is so cunning with this. His lying, he tells half-truths. It says he comes as an angel. He comes uh, like an angel of light. Um, he, he just, he's so deceiving. And I just want to share with you before we go, maybe just these are some ways that you can relate to this. Here's a lie. God doesn't care. This has been sown since the beginning of time. God doesn't care. You say, oh, that's simple, Chip. Woohoo. Big deal. Tell me something new. Let me ask you this. 
All of you have fears, correct? Do you have anxieties today? At the heart of fear and anxiety is this stubborn untruth that God will not, cannot take care of me. He doesn't care. I'm not telling you because guess what? I deal with fears and anxieties. But at the heart of that is this untruth in my life that I need God to continue to break up, to chase away, to demolish, is this idea that God doesn't care. The scriptures are clear. God does care. God has done everything to make us know that he cares through his son Jesus. In fact, the scriptures teach us that as a child of God, there is no more safe or secure place to be. And yet you and I, at times, struggle with fears and anxieties. You know why? Because the devil is always trying to sow into our heart this stubborn untruth. that Maybe God doesn't really and then you look at a world around us and there is all sorts of injustice and there's pain and there's suffering and there's randomness. And you look around and the devil takes that and he just tries to sow it into your heart. See, really? That doesn't care. Think about it. I believe that God wants us as Jesus lived Jesus lived resting, trusting, depending in the Father each and every moment. He did not fear, and he was not anxious. And he's calling us to more of that lifestyle. I didn't say you're going to get there. If you do, you're, like, you're Jesus, okay? But he's calling, that's the life that God has for us. And yet the untold, the untruth, the lie that he sows in is God doesn't especially in our fears and anxieties. What about this lie? God is holding out on me. This is from the garden, right? Has God really said, God's holding something back from you guys. You guys could be so wise, right? It's uh, take care of yourself first and foremost. If I'm going to have the good life, I need to go ahead and experience it my own way. I'm going to miss out if I don't just go ahead. I deserve this. I can't wait for God to bring fulfillment in his plan and timing. God's holding out on me. Like the devil is a master of creating this picture of God that if we do it God's will, God's way, we're going to miss out. We're not going to enjoy life. We're not going to have desires that we want. We're not, you, you know what I mean? He's a master of painting this picture. It's the way that he lies to us. God's holding out on you. It's this too. I need to control my life. I have a plan. I have goals. I make my own decisions. I'm responsible for what I get in life. I can't wait for God to open doors and lead. I know what's best for me. If I wait for God's will, God's way, I'm not going to get the life that I always wanted, so I need to control my Last lie is the greatest of all lies. I'm good enough. Religion 
is the master lie of the devil. It causes us to forsake a personal relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It causes us to begin to create a checklist. And all of a sudden, I am able to please God. And I will do more good things than bad things. I will atone for my bad behavior. I'll give more. I'll serve more. I'll, I will develop good morals. I will be more philanthropic. Religion. It's this, it's this deception of the enemy that robs us from a dependent lifestyle on the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what it does? It creates people that do some good things in this world. It's like good to great. Or maybe that's even a bad thing. God has greatness designed for you. What he has designed for you is to live like Jesus did in this world. Nothing greater. Jesus, the way Jesus lived, it's impossible for you and I to do this through religious works. I can't love my enemy. I'm not able to. I want to hit my enemy right in the nose. That's what I want to do. And I can't be, I, I'm always selfish. And I will dog eat dog in this world and I'll, I'll eat you. You'll do the same. It'll come out somewhere down the line. I can't do it. God wants something that transforms the world, the life of Jesus. And he can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. A dependent lifestyle, not a religious one. I'm good enough. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And so the question is, do I define truth or do I allow truth to define me? The belt of truth. You know what God actually says about you? He says this, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I'm awake, I am still with you. The truth is, and what needs to define me, is God loves me so much that he gave his one and only son. And then that, in that giving of Jesus, he has provided for me a life that is beyond fulfilling, or it's beyond what I ever imagined in being fulfilled. It is an abundant life. God's not trying to rob you of des your desires. He's trying to help you form the God-given desires he's, he has instilled in you so that now you can live the life that he's always wanted you to have. <laughs> this is what you need to know. This is truth. And actually, the belt of truth is centered in the person who is called truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that the belt of truth that I put on is centered in the person of Jesus who that's what it was. That's what God was doing. He was thinking innumerable thoughts toward us. He was loving us in a lavish way that he said, I cannot allow my creation to waste away in lost, broken living. I need to do something about it. And he sends himself into this world to save us, to redeem us, 
to empower us, to strengthen us, to make us a new creation. As he is going to make this creation all new, he begins that restoring process in you and me. We are evidences of a God who is going to restore everything. He begins with us so that we begin to realize and recognize and experience the purpose of God. This is why I was created. This is what life's about. This is how I navigate through this life in a way that brings fulfillment and peace and joy and love. The belt of truth is centered in the person of truth. And the lies of the enemy cannot stand up to who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he wants to accomplish in your life. Would you center on Jesus, the person of truth? He holds it all together. Run to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Follow Jesus. That's truth. That's how you win. So this morning, I invite you to stand as we finish. We're going to, in a very visible and tangible way, cause our hearts and minds to affirm that we are trusting, depending on Jesus Christ and Him alone. As we come to His table and we remember his work, and we trust in his shed blood and his broken body. It's a way of saying that, Jesus, you're the truth that I need, and I'm trusting in you alone, and you are the belt of truth that holds everything together. And I'm not going anywhere else this morning. And maybe some of you, you just haven't been very truthful with yourself. You've given yourself a pass too many times and you don't really see yourself for who you need to see yourself. And yet, I will tell you today that if you will allow yourself to look at, this is me, I know it's painful. And yet there's a God who loves me, who doesn't care about what I've done, who offers himself to me and gives forgiveness. Maybe today you just need to start that step and embrace that God is going to forgive you and start something new in you. You can come to the table this morning if that's your intent. For us, it's simply saying this is where we are. The belt of truth is in the person of truth. This is how I win. Trusting, depending, relying on Jesus' work and his salvation. Come to the table this morning. center here, two on either side of the room.
believe this. Believe that this is the way to the Father through the Son. The truth that He's revealed to us through His Word. Say amen, yeah. And have a great week. See you next Sunday.